What a pleasure it is to welcome all of you to Pathway for this time of opening up God's Word with one another, and we welcome those of you who have gathered in person in the live service, welcome, and to those of you who are gathered today listening in, maybe in the classic venue or on the Moon Campus or online, welcome to you as well. It's good to be the family of God, gathered in a variety of different places, but all under the banner of Jesus Christ, and so we do welcome all of you. This, of course, is Independence Day weekend. This is the time when we celebrate a fun holiday. We celebrate the birth of our nation, and there are a lot of different ways that people celebrate, to be sure, and you might celebrate in one of these ways. Maybe you have a, a barbecue with your friends and family over on the deck. That's, that's a fun thing to do. Or maybe you go to a concert in the park or maybe a picnic on, on the lawn. Maybe the way you celebrate is by going to a fireworks display or maybe going to a parade. I've always enjoyed going to parades, seeing the marching band and, and the floats and that one creepy clown on the unicycle. You know the one I'm talking about, right? You've been to that parade too, probably. Um, but if you wanted to try out a little bit different flavor of parade, I've got, a, I've got a couple ideas for you. You might be interested if you want to go to the very first 4th of July parade that happens that day, you might want to go to Gatlinburg where they have this what they call the midnight parade they call that you can figure out why because the morning of at 12 o'clock in the morning of july 4th they have their midnight parade that's when they do it and uh, you might think well who's going to come out at that time of of the night they say they have over 80,000 spectators who come out for the midnight parade so maybe that's something you'd like to go and take in or if maybe you'd rather get your sleep you might want to go instead to the boombox parade, which you can see a banner for right here. This happens in Willimantic, Connecticut. Apparently, in 1986, they couldn't get a marching band for the parade. They couldn't find one anywhere, and so some lady came up with the idea that she'd have the local, they'd have the local radio station play patriotic songs over their air, and everybody in the parade and all the spectators were told to bring boomboxes. And then everybody just played them, and so they had all the patriotic music blaring from all sorts of different places that they could ever need. So maybe you'd want to go check that out, because they still do it that way today. Or maybe my favorite is one that happened not very far away from where we used to live in this little podunk town called Whalen, Minnesota. Whalen, Minnesota, there it is. You can see it says it's the home of the Standstill Parade. And that pretty much tells you everything that you need to know. They didn't have very many participants. They didn't have very many spectators. And so what they did is that they just put people in place, and then every, and they just stood still, and the spectators walked around the parade. It was only a couple of blocks, couple of blocks long, which worked out pretty well because you have the unmarching band that, that was there. And you've also got, for the, some of those folks who would get maybe tired a little bit, like the Grand Marshal, all she has to do is just sit there in her rocking chair and her umbrella. And what about those poor American Legion guys, you know, who are always trudging through the, all the sun, and the gals as well? Well, they can just sit still while everybody comes past them. The standstill parade. That might be one that you would want to go check out. Lots of different parade options that are out there. But regardless of how you go about celebrating the 4th, there's, there's no doubt that we are incredibly blessed as a people to live in the nation that we 
live in. And there is much for us to rejoice in. There's much for us to celebrate on this 4th of July weekend. I don't think there's any difficulty at all when it comes to where we live, to love where we live in that regard. Now, of course, we all know that our country has its challenges as well. And my guess is that if you had the ability to change certain things, you'd be all about changing certain things. Maybe it would be as it relates to things culturally or morally or socially or politically or religiously or racially or relationally. Any of a number of areas, and I can think of several of those, of those that I would have some things that I would love to see change, that I would love to affect change in. So what are we supposed to do with that? You know, there are a number of different responses that we see just looking out around us in our culture. Some people are angry. You've noticed this, right? You can read it in the news. You can hear it on cable television. You can see it on social media. People are just angry, and they're calling out, and they're saying that things have to change, and the people who have to change are the ones who don't think about things the way that I think about things. It's those people. They have to change, and so there's just this this overtone of anger that sort of runs through our culture today, and we see it all around us, and we hear it all the time. You're familiar with that. Some people are tired. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's like, I've tried to be a part of the solution here. I've tried to step in. I've tried to be patient. I've tried to do my part, but it hasn't gone very well, and it's just such a steep uphill climb. It seems that for every step forward I take, I end up taking three or four backwards. And I'm tired. Some people have given up. It's like, I tried. I did what I could, but it just wasn't affecting anything. And so I'm done. I'm giving up. I'm just going to retreat. I'm just going to try to manage things as best I can for my family, just where I am but I'm done. I've got no more ability to move forward. And I understand these responses. I I get it. And there are probably other ones as well. Maybe some that you are feeling that are different from those. There are times that I feel very discouraged in considering where it is that we need to go. This can steal whatever interest or resolve that we might have toward making something better. But here's the thing. We cannot allow it to steal our desire to move forward. We cannot throw in the towel on this score. We must not throw in the towel on this score, as tempting as it is to do just that, because I believe we're actually at a place where we have an opportunity, an opportunity to move forward in ways to see change happen in ways that we've never seen before, as much as we perhaps have tried to carry this out. Now, I'm not just talking about kind of hanging on to that last last thread while we're sort of waiting for everything to implode around us in society. I'm talking about actually capturing an opportunity and moving toward what could be a better future. So, how do we do that? Well, today I want to share with you some steps, some some action steps, some ideas for how we might get our feet on the ground and provide a basis for actually making some actual progress in, in ways and into areas that we've never traveled before, perhaps never, for as much as we've tried to make change in this regard as a culture, as a society, over the different years. Some things I believe that we can look at that can help to move us forward. It has everything to do with loving where you live. And the essential focal point of all of that that we're talking about 
today is this idea that it starts at home, that it starts at home. There's a powerful verse in the Scriptures that we're going to look at, just basically one verse today that I want to open up for us. And my guess is it's probably being read in a lot of churches this weekend. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 14. It might be very much a familiar verse to you. If you're here in person, it's on the screen. If you're watching at home, it should pop up on your screen as well. I'm just wondering if you'd read it with me as we get started. Just right off the screens. Would you read it? Let's do it together. Here we go. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. There is a lot in that verse that we can take and we can learn from, but here's the thing. It's important that we would only take what is intended for us. To take and apply only that which is really speaking to our specific situation, who we are today, that which is meant for us. See, one of the first rules of interpretation, biblical interpretation, of understanding and applying the Word of God is that we would keep it in its context. And there's a context for this verse, most definitely. We know that that is the case. And in in this particular case, we know that this is written to Israel. It's talking about Israel. It's talking about the construction of the temple. Solomon, the guy who actually built the temple, had very much the desire that, that God's presence would dwell there, and he prayed and he asked that God's presence would dwell in the temple, and that's exactly what God wanted as well, and God makes the promise to do so. But Solomon knows only too well that the people eventually are going to sin, and that sin has consequences. And it brings about challenging circumstances. And so God steps in and he gives this promise that we've just read. This promise for the people that when there are bad times, if they will do these things that this verse calls them to, that he will respond, that he will heal their land, that he will bring restoration on the nation of Israel. On the nation of Israel. Now, we love the ring of that promise of God healing our land too, but the promise in this verse really isn't directed at America or Canada or England or Zimbabwe or anywhere really other than Solomon's Israel. So, does that mean that God can't or won't bring about healing in America? No, that's not what it means at all. It just means that we oughtn't be claiming it out of Second Chronicles chapter 7 that it's not a promise that's given directly to America. We all aren't God's people. It's important that we would understand this coming. So why look at this verse at all? Well, for one thing, it does still speak to the heart of God. He still does desire that people would experience blessing in this life, and, and He most definitely is still inclined to bring that. We can read that in plenty of other places as well. And it also does a great job of laying out God's desire for the people that He longs to bless, how it is that He wants us to live. There are clear principles here for us to learn and take and apply, and the clear principles apply even if the specific promise doesn't, in the same way that He was writing it and intending it for the people of Israel. Israel. Now, there are three principles that I want to consider with you, and each of them have an interesting focal point when it comes to this idea of what the solution is to the ills that we experience all around us in our culture. 
And that interesting focal point is what we're talking about here today, that it starts at home. It's got to start with us. There are a lot of words that are getting thrown around today that are offering suggestions for how things need to go if we're going to fix the problems that exist, and most of them have to do with what somebody else has to do, something else out there that has to happen in order for that to take place. The clear inference is that the solution starts away from home, but that's not what the Scriptures say. Almost everywhere in the Scriptures, what we find is that the solution starts at home, not away from home. It starts at home. Here's the point right here. If we want to address the issues around us, we must first address the issues within us. That's what this passage is really telling us, what this verse is really telling us, as well as the message of the rest of the New Testament, to be sure. If we want to address the issues around us, we must first address the issues within us. So, let's take a look at some of these principles that we can glean out of here, some of these timeless principles that we find, all right? The first of them is this, to turn away from distraction. Right in the middle of 2 Chronicles 7, 14, there are some action steps that are every bit as essential for today in America as they were for ancient Israel. So we're going to take a look at them. Actually, we're going to sort of reverse our way toward the beginning of the text. We're going to take the last one first and then move our way forward. These three action steps that we can see here. So, Here's how we get it started. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And turn from their wicked ways. Or to turn away from distractions, we're saying. In the ancient world, there were nations all around Israel who practiced all sorts of evil deeds. There was sexual perversion, there were pagan temples, there were false gods, there was prostitution, there was incest, there was bestiality, there was child sacrifice, there was murder. There were all sorts of things that were going on around the people of Israel. Certainly, the influence of the people around Israel was harmful to the culture in the ancient world. So, you might think that God would say to the people, look, your first focus of attention ought to be to get those people who are around you to change their ways so that their influence isn't being felt any longer on the culture, the society in which you live. You might think that that would be it. And then, if you can do that, then I will heal your land. That would make some sense. But that's not what God instructs His people to do. He doesn't tell the people to go and change others. He says, change yourself. He doesn't say, go and get them to turn from their wicked ways. He says, you turn from your wicked ways first. He says, that's the place that it needs to begin. And here again, the same principle applies that we were just looking at. If we want to address the issues around us, we must first address the issues within us. Now, I know that that message might not sit very well because we look around us and we say, well, look at how out of step everybody is. Look how out of step our culture is. Certainly that would be the place to start because they're so far away from the goal. Why do we have to start with people who are already on their way to the goal? We should start further with those who have the furthest direction or the furthest 
distance to cover. That would seem to make sense, but in order to for that to happen, for there to even be an inclination of change, there has to be a belief on the part of those that there's something that has to change. But that's not what the belief is at all. Most people are just acting in conformity with what their worldview says. They're acting completely according to what their worldview says. It shouldn't surprise us that people who don't accept the truth of God live like people who don't accept the truth of God. That should stop surprising us. We should stop expecting that they should naturally have this understanding that they're wrong and they need to do something different. So instead, God places the call for action on the ones who do accept the truth but are disregarding it or living distracted lives. You see, it doesn't make a lot of sense to call someone out for not practicing what they don't believe if we're not practicing what we do believe. So it starts at home. He says if there's going to be integrity, if there's going to be influence, there has to be something going on in the lives of the people who do believe that stands out in amazing ways. Besides, the only people we have influence over are ourselves. Sure, we want to see change happening people all around us, but God is the only one who can bring that change. But when we live in such a way that is in conformity to God's will, in His Word, when we pursue righteousness, when we live by the fruit of the Spirit and those things rise up in us more and more, when we love our neighbor as ourself, now what's happening is that we become a witness that God can point to and can use in the lives of other people to show them there's something that's real. There's something that's different that is going on in the hearts and the lives of those people. When we turn away from the distractions around us, we become a vessel in the hand of God to influence the world toward righteousness, to influence the world toward God, to actually prompt some change to happen in the world in which we live. Turn away from distractions. Turn away from evil. March back toward the center of righteousness with God. And the power of our influence will skyrocket in the hands of God. It's the first thing. Second timeless principle that we see here is to look above for direction. Turn away from distraction. Look above for direction. Now, part of the problem in this regard is that we tend to make assumptions we're people who tend to make assumptions, and you know what happens when you assume, right? Yeah. Well, Carolyn and I made some assumptions when we were actually coming out here to candidate for the position of senior pastor a number of years ago. We made the assumption we were supposed to fly out here because we were living a long ways away. Supposed to fly. We made the assumption that, that the flight would get us here, and it did. But we also made the assumption that it would get us here sort of somewhere near the time that we were supposed to arrive. That didn't happen (laughs) quite so well. The trip started pretty well, and we made it to the layover city without any issues, but while we're sitting there at the gate waiting to get on our next flight, we started to see the, it posted that there was going to be a delay, and at first it said minutes, and pretty soon it said hours. And so we were getting pretty stressed about the fact that we were just going to be showing up because we knew the schedule. The schedule was that that we would arrive and we would 
have time to change, and then we'd be taken off to this restaurant where the whole search team, together with all of their spouses, were going to be there, and they were basically going to grill us <laughs> that, that day. That's what the interview was going to be. But we're sitting there, and as the time is going by, we're just imagining that what's going to happen now is that we're going to show up, and they're going to whisk us from the airport straight to the restaurant with all these people who've been sitting around waiting for a while, and we're just there in our travel clothes. Way to make a great impression, right? To get started. Now, the one thing we did have going in our favor was that we actually had our clothes with us. And so we went to the hotel. A lot of times there are a hotel connected to an airport. And we went and we shared with them our sob story. And they actually gave us a room, no charge, to go in and sort of get cleaned up and, and to get dressed in the clothes that we wanted to be in to come for the interview to begin with, which was great. So we put on those clothes and then went on the next flight and wrinkled them <laughs> before we arrived, right? But thankfully, the, the search team was very gracious and they were very kind and very understanding, and, and here we are today. <laughs> but the assumption made for some very anxious moments and potentially something that would completely have blown up in our face and did to a point. Well, it's easy to bring that sort of assumption into our spiritual lives as well. We do it all the time. We take the bit of information or knowledge that we have, and then we process it through our own filters, and we make some assumptions about what it is that God would have for us in a specific situation. Because we know something about the Word of God, and, and we know something about the way that God has worked in the past, and so we can just assume that this is the way that God wants to use us or work through us in the present and for the future. Of course, we often miss the mark on what God's purpose or will would be for us in some given situation. That's the reason that what this verse next calls us to is so important. Again, at the heart of the verse, we read this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. We need to look above for direction is what we're saying here in this point. Now, it's possible that we know God's heart for a situation without specifically knowing how it is that he would have us to respond in the midst of that situation. We can think of all sorts of different areas. We might know that God's heart breaks when His Word is ignored or when sin runs rampant or when justice is perverted, but that doesn't answer the question as to exactly what God would have us to do about it when we see that those things are going on. And you've probably had circumstances and times when you've said, well, that shouldn't be. But it's like, I'm not completely sure what I should do about it. Well, we need to pray. We need to seek God's face in those circumstances. In order to determine that, that's what we must do to open our hearts to what the Spirit would say to us. Now, that's not an excuse to do no thing. It's a call to do the right thing. And when we do so, God is going to respond. There's that promise that just comes through the Scriptures. Let me just show you one of them. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 5 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, he hears us. And, going on, if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. Pray, seek my face. It's the same thing. And John is saying when we do so, God is going to respond. There are going to be times when you don't know exactly what the Lord would have you to do in a situation. Seek the Lord. Look above for direction. Prayerfully consider the heart of the Lord, His love, His compassion, His grace, His justice, 
His mercy. Then ask God that He would bring that together, the understanding that you do have, together with specifically where He would lead you and what He would have you to do in that circumstance. And again, don't be driven by what you think somebody else needs to hear. Be driven by what you need to hear on your knees, listening to what God would say to you so that you might be able to appropriately respond. So, turn away from distraction. Starts at home. Look above for direction. That's still something that we're supposed to do. Then the last one falls in that same category. Move ahead with consideration. One more look at this text here shows us. Remember, we're backing our way up toward the beginning. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will humble themselves, it says. In a church, we throw around the idea of humility a lot, and rightfully so, because it's absolutely essential. It is central to us coming to faith. It is central to us walking in faith, and it is also central to making a difference in our nation and in our communities. See, I am convinced that unless there is a wave of humility that sweeps over our nation and over our communities, there's going to be no reconciliation taking place. There's going to be no relationships that are fostered and developed and made better than what they already have been to this point. It's just not going to happen. You can see the same pattern repeating itself over and over again. One person, one group is at odds with another person because of a view they hold or an action that they've taken or some group that they're connected to. And because we live in a culture that loves to draw lines and say you're either with me or you're against me, we have people all around us that are becoming more and more entrenched in their own position, on their own side, and there are fewer and fewer people getting to almost nobody, it seems, around us that's willing to actually try to make a foray into the no-man's land where there can actually be some engagement that happens, where one can actually demonstrate some humility and go and connect with somebody else instead of just assuming that you're over there, I'm going to be over here, we can lob grenades back and forth at one another, all that we want, because we're not going to see things together. So we see everything through the lens of division and separation. And our world has never been further apart. Our nation has never been further apart, more divided than what we find it to be today. And at the same time, while there's that separation going on, the people who think alike become narrower and narrower in their perspective. And so we live in a country that is divided as much as it ever has been on issues that we've been working on, that we've been legislating for decades, for centuries in some cases. And in many respects, we're no closer than we've ever been It's not making a difference. It's not moving us forward. What we need is humility. We need people who are willing to hear an opinion or a statement that they don't agree with and not dismiss that person and not sort of push them off. We live in this cancel culture where somebody has a thought that's different from yours, somebody makes a statement that's apart from you, and we've dismissed them. We've canceled them. Don't need to hear from you anymore. You're dead to me. You're on the other side. I don't have anything to say to you. I can talk at you. I can talk about how wrong you are. But I'm not going to talk to you. For that to happen, there has to be humility. There has to be a willingness to go a layer down from where we've been to this point. We need to be willing to take steps that engage 
instead of oppose. But there's not much of that going on in our world today. But we're equipped to do it. We've been called to it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, it starts at home. It's not, no, you're wrong, and as soon as you're holding more to my opinion, then we'll have something to talk about. There's plenty to talk about. You just have to get below the things that automatically separate you. The sort of veneer that we've put up, there's something significant in everybody beneath that. But we're too busy dismissing them to ever get to that level. We need to humble ourselves to be willing to endure that first offense that we might, not, we might feel so that we can get to the place where there can actually be some conversation. That's what it looks like to love where you live. And it starts at home. A lot of people are pretty discouraged about where we are as a nation, and I understand that. But at the same time, I've got to tell you that I'm filled with hope, and I'm hopeful because we have the answer that can move us forward as a nation, and the answer is Christ. It's the only answer. And the reason that we haven't seen more headway in this regard is because Christ, through His people, hasn't been the one out in front. But I'm optimistic about that because Christ can make the change. That's what our country needs is a change of heart. And Christ is the one who changes heart, but for that hearts. And but for that impact to be made, the people of God need to be the ones on the front lines. Not the activists. Not the legislators. Not saying there isn't a role for that. But the people of God need to be the ones on the front line. Because we're the ones who have the answer. And that's the reason that there hasn't been any significant change that's transpired in decades and decades. Because largely, I believe the people of God have been absent. Not absent completely from the public square, but absent as carrying the banner of Christ. Because that's where the answer is found. But if we're going to be those people, if we're going to have that sort of winsome testimony in the world that is around us, we need to look internal first. We need to turn away from distraction, look above for direction, and move ahead with consideration. That's what it looks like to be loving where you live. It's got to start at home. There's plenty there to do, just all in and of itself. But I do want to give you a couple more action steps, just really practical ways to put this into practice. One of them we've been mentioning from the very start of this series. You could probably tell us all what it is. It's to take a significant step of personal connection with someone with whom right now you just have some superficial connection or maybe no connection at all talked a lot about this, and I hope that you're carrying it forward. The challenge was to do it by the end of the series, so you've got a week left, roughly. And I've been hearing some stories. Thank you for sharing those with me. I would love to hear more of what is going on. Don't just let this opportunity pass by. Perfect time to put a stake in the ground and say, I, I'm going to do I know this is important, and I'm going to get it done. 
So to take that step, significant step, we're saying, we're calling that at least an hour spent in conversation with somebody else that you don't know or don't know well at all so that you might be able to go some of those layers down and you might experience some of that difference on the surface. As you do, just tell yourself, I just need to humble myself. I just need to be willing to endure what might have felt like an offense and try to go to the next layer. Let me learn more about who this person really is. You know what? That's what Jesus did. It's exactly the way that he engaged with. He went to all sorts of places with people that were very different from him, that were not living the lives that he had come to call people to live, not even close to it. But he didn't, like the Pharisees, just put up his hand and say, I've got, I'll have nothing to do with you. I want to live like Christ, not like the Pharisees. So there's an opportunity for you. I, I'd just remind you of that challenge and encourage you to take it forward. And the other step would be one of service and engagement. There's a church in Rochester. It's Second Baptist Church. And, and I've been spending uh, some time with the pastor there. And they have a, a little food pantry. And what we want to do is just serve them. And so what we're going to do is our outreach bags. We want to invite you to take one of those and uh, go and fill it up with the things that are requested there, as many of those as you want to put in the bag, and then bring it back next week. And then we're going to sort all that stuff, and we're just going to bless Second Baptist Church in Rochester with food for their food pantry, as they're seeking to do the same thing that we're seeking to do. They have a year-long theme. It's called Doing Good in the Neighborhood, and I think that's awesome. And we want to stand with them, and we want to support them in that. There are a couple other things that are projects that we have in line or things we have in line with them that uh, one of them actually just fell through, and I'm really disappointed about that, but we're not going to let it go. It's just we don't have enough to tell you about just right now in this moment. But, but we'll have opportunity to continue to engage uh, with these brothers and sisters who are there at Second Baptist in Rochester. So if you're inclined, um, please go ahead and take one of those bags on your way or just take the list if you'd like and leave the bags for people who come later and uh, just fill up a bag and, and bring those things by next weekend and we'll get that taken care of. And uh, pray as you do so for the people that that's going to impact and uh, the church as it seeks to bless their neighborhood, the church as some of them receive it, the, the church as as they're doing good in, in the neighborhood. And there's so many other ways that you can do this on your own and in your own context, and I would just challenge you to do so because that's what it means to love where you live. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the place where you've placed us. Thank you for this nation that we're a part of. There are so many blessings that we have because of it, many blessings we just so much take for granted. Today, we want to celebrate the fact that there is, is so much that we do have, so much that has been provided that we can rejoice in and enjoy. Lord, at the same time, there are so many things that we would love to see changed as well. And Lord, we can be the influence toward that change, but not as we just call out other people. Lord, it starts with us. It starts at home. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would convict us of the places where we need to turn from evil, where we need to start praying for heaven's sake and seek your face and learn where you would desire us to engage and how you'd desire us to engage. 
And Lord, to humble us. That we'd be humble, that we wouldn't say my way is the right way and if you're not my way, then I have nothing to do with you. Or I'm going to keep you at arm's length or I'm not going to choose to engage. Lord, thank you for the example of Christ who jumped in. Regardless of where it was or with whom it was and made something beautiful out of that encounter. Lord, may we be the people who march into the no man's land between positions, between ideologies. Not that we would ever be in a position of letting go of your word or letting go of what is so important that you've called us to, your will and your call in our lives. But so that we might be able to love where we live, to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, many of us are guilty of just being on the sidelines. Lord, don't let us stay there any longer. Prompt us, move us, convict us. Give us the courage to do as it is necessary. Lord, we've got some very specific challenges out there. And no doubt, there are ones that we can add to that on our own. And so we commit ourselves to you starting in our own hearts, that you might ultimately be able to use us for the purpose of changing the world around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Humble, pray, seek, turn. This scripture today certainly spells out our charge pretty clearly, but it's coupled with a clear promise as well, that we serve a God who hears us from heaven when we pray, forgives our sins when we confess, and is both willing and able to heal what is broken among us. What good news for us today. I'm so glad you've been with us for worship today. Enjoy your week, and we'll see you next Sunday.